Warning. What you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Pull up the good bad flicks uh, on this one real quick, and then we'll get started. <laughs> oh, do you have to watch something? How long is this gonna take? I'm just no. I'm just gonna I'm gonna play it, and then I'm gonna put on the subtitles and just read. Oh wow! What the uh, Cecil says? That's the name of the guy, Cecil. Did you know that? Did you know no. Cecil Trachtenberg? I did not know that. He's not related to Michelle Trachtenberg. I I find that hard to believe. Yeah. Is this recording? Yeah, definitely. That's why okay. I wanted a name drop of a famous YouTuber so that we could get oh. some clout. Oh, wow. Okay. Your, you know, clout? Your, yeah, your it's personal friend, Cecil Trachtenberg. Some type of social currency. Well, here we are, guys. We're back again. It's the Trash Sheep Podcast, the show where we look through the dumpster that's filled with movies and take the movies out, and we watch the movies. And uh, sometimes we like the movies, and sometimes we don't like the movies. We inspect the movies for freshness. It's funny that you always mention the dumpster. Yeah. Even though this is the Trash Heap podcast, and you don't necessarily need a dumpster to have a heap. That's true. But uh, you know that thing where delis and grocery stores and stuff, they they throw out quote-unquote expired food? But if like right. you get it on the same day or whatever, it's like perfectly good food. Yeah, that's like a is perfect that... metaphor for what for we're our show. doing. Yeah, it's like these movies are perfectly good. And it's true, a heap doesn't have to be in a dumpster. But we're on the West Coast. This isn't the East Coast. You know, the East Coast they just put their trash on this, like on the street. Yeah, they just stack it up loose. in the street and like in it's New just York loose City. Trash. We we so they have the rats everywhere. You know, the East civilized. Coast is full of rats. That's right. Yeah, we're a little more civilized. We keep our trash in a can or a larger can called a dumpster. Or failing that, a cool wet sack. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're this is the show. We give uh, discarded gems a second chance. And we're out uh, to prove once or for all there are no garbage opinions, only garbage movies. So you got to do the reverse. Yeah, it's the opposite. But opposite. who cares? This is our show. We can. That's true. It's true if we say it's true. We have I feel like power. we've been. I feel like lately, though, we've been proving ourselves wrong in that statement because we've been finding a lot of garbage movies in, in the trash. You know, we haven't been like, "Oh, this is overlooked," and blah blah blah, and what a fine piece of cinema this is, and perhaps it's flawed, but it certainly has its merits. Like, I feel like lately we've been like swinging and missing a little bit harder, right? I think it's just a poor, poor viewing attitude on our parts. That could be it. I think yeah. it's our fault. You might be onto something there. Well, you know, I will say we, the movie we watched for this episode is another uh, sight unseen one where we just picked a movie that neither of us had seen. And I think it went a little bit better than when we've done that lately. Yeah. Because we like when we've done that lately, it's been some real stinkers that were kind of uh, hard to get through. And this one, it wasn't bad. What you? We're, oh, yeah. We're talking about the movie Strange Days. Yeah. From a 1995. So let's say it together. A nineteen ninety five. Wait, hold on, hold on. Ready? Let's count one, two, three, and then we'll just say it, and we'll see how close we are in our spiel. Yeah, perfect. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Strange days, days from nineteen ninety five. You're waiting to hear what I say. <laughs> thriller film, directed, directed by, by Catherine, Catherine Bigelow. Bigelow. 
Co-written by James Cameron from an original story by James Cameron, starring Ray Fiennes, Tom Sizemore, Angela Bassett, Juliet Lewis, Michael Wincott, and that guy who plays one of the Goombas in uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie. Vincent D'Onofrio. No, not him. But yeah, he's in it too. <laughs> in oh, and, and and William Fichtner. 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 Uh, it's got a lot of people in it. There um, is. It's a hell of a cast in this 1995 American cyberpunk thriller <laughs> directed by Catherine Bickle. Co-written by James Cameron from an original story by James Cameron. Based on a, a an idea from James Cameron, which is also based on the life and times of James Cameron, who this was, based, as you know, just... was famously a cyberpunk. <laughs> <laughs> this movie's all right. It's pretty good. It's not great. It's hailed as a classic, which is weird, especially well, like uh, a forgotten classic, right? Because it was like a big flop when it came out, and I think it has gotten some like, oh, you you, you remember this forgotten movie from you know Catherine Bigelow, uh, one of the few women best Oscar winners, best director Oscar winners, James Cameron, obviously a legend, uh, despite what you think of you know his overall output. You know, Ray Fiennes, you know, Ray Fiennes coming, like, this is an early movie for him, too. This is him coming off of, I looked at his filmography, and he really didn't, he did, like, a TV movie and one other thing uh, before doing Schindler's List. Yeah, that was his big. And maybe, like, maybe a TV show, like, a couple episodes of a TV show, but he, like, it was, like, he was not a known commodity at all before Schindler's List. And then he does Quiz Show right after Schindler's List, and then he does this. So this is essentially his third movie. Catherine Bigelow just had a big hit with Point Break. I'm not sure if she did anything in between Point Break and this. And then James Cameron, obviously. Yeah, this was like right before, I think they had like a deal to shoot uh, this movie and then also True Lies kind of around the same time. They both secured a deal. And Catherine Bigelow was married to James Cameron at the time too, or... Or Something maybe a little she, fishy about that. Or maybe she wasn't married anymore to him anymore by the time the movie was being made. But like, obviously, there's a connection, you know, between how these, how all these players came together. You know, I wonder what happened there because that's like quite a power couple. Have you ever listened to James Cameron talk? Or are you, you implying imagine? that he's annoying? Can you imagine? <laughs> well, I mean, just like, can you imagine being married to that guy? I recently found a video where it's just James Cameron for like I don't know an hour and a half telling like mushroom and lsd stories yeah <laughs> like he doesn't that? seem i think i've seen the like I, clips of it i don't I've not seen the whole thing like he doesn't seem like a bad guy or anything but it's just a guy who's definitely like okay well you know um i gotta go to work early so maybe you should get out of my house he's like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. let me just tell you one more thing you know so it's living tissue over a metal endoskeleton james <laughs> yes. what the hell is an endoskeleton <laughs> I mean, he talks like that. I mean, just how much he's into Avatar needs to tell you. Like, nobody should. I mean, I know he created it, but nobody should be into Avatar as much as he's into Avatar. And that's all we got. That's all you need to know about James Cameron. Catherine Bigelow might have a better filmography than James Cameron. In terms, I mean, her filmography is not incredibly consistent, but in terms of like, there's less. Yeah, I say like I could just randomly pop one on and be more likely to enjoy it overall. Whereas when Cameron hits, he hits hit really hard, but he also has some just kind of like, oh my God, again. Yeah. 
Oh, did you see Detroit? No, I, that was I, I did want to see that because I really did like um, Zero Dark Thirty a lot. But uh, what's this movie about, Keith? Strange I am days. not really sure, to be honest oh, okay. with you. I watched this movie and I was very confused. I started thinking about runtimes and Catherine Bigelow, what it would be like to be married to her and things like that. As far as I can tell, though, it is about the life and times of an ex-cop turned memory dealer named Lenny and his, uh, you know, hipster misfit cadre in the uh, the big city there on uh, New Year's Eve 1999, roughly. Or I guess it's in the two, the two days rolling towards uh, the new millennium or the yeah. new willennium, depending on uh, how you celebrate it. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, yeah it's so- kind of a sci-fi movie, but kind of not really. It's, yeah. it's in that weird limbo where it's like, here's the not-too-distant future. It's real grungy, and everyone mm-hmm. wears, like, goofy shirts, but... No, they uh, were just dressed like it was the mid-90s. Yeah, the, this the, is one the, of the most 90s movies I've ever seen. Absolutely. Instantly you want to talk about me. The Crow? You want to talk about Clueless? This is pretty 90s, guy. Crow is definitely more 90s than this, but this is like... Crow is maybe not more 90s overall, but it is very, like, one specific thing of 90s this is more like a like a sampler platter of the 90s this has juliette lewis fronting a grunge band yeah it's very it's very 90s but i think one of the reasons why it was hard for you to under you know keep the plot is because of how long this is the plot of the movie doesn't brain dead idiot no the plot of the movie doesn't kick in till an hour into the movie no i'm just like what you know, but like, yes, you're right. He's a memory dealer and it's in the near future. And this one instantly, this struck me as like, why is this movie in the future? Because this, like everything is the same. And literally you could just introduce this technology as the current day, but like, oh, here's this new technology that just came out this in the past year, you know? And they sort of do that. Like there's that little bit of exposition where they talk about how it, the, uh, I forget what the name of the, the technology is, the little sort of, uh, head a web that you put on right so it's basically a gopro that connects to your brain yeah and it replaced uh wires sort of wire microphones for like undercover work and things like that it's like technology introduced by like the fbi or something right so it's basically you put this thing on your head under your hat or a wig under your i love it everyone He's wearing a wig. He's hiding yo, yeah, this shit under a wig. That one guy who already has hair and the wig doesn't match it up. Right. Well, that was the thing. Like, Tom Sizemore, like, the whole movie, I was like, man, that wig is so fucking bad. Yeah. Man, that's the biggest. But, like, the whole time, like, he never takes it off. So I'm just like, you know, throughout the movie, I was like, oh, they, you know, obviously Tom Sizemore didn't have super long hair. Yeah, they just hair, wanted so they to give this... him cool hair. And then, and then at the end of the movie, they pull it, they rip his hair off, and it's a wig, and they're like, oh, you were wearing a wig this whole time. I was and genuinely that... shocked. <laughs> and like the character, but the character's like, wait, it was a wig? He's been recording everything with his brain GoPro? And it's like, wait, you couldn't tell that was a wig? Because I could tell it was a wig. Yeah, and it's funny how we've become desensitized to wigs that we're just like, oh, that's not like uh, important to the plot. That's just right. a bad wig. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's so funny because it's like, if the wig is so bad that everybody would be like, in this world where this thing is a thing, would be like, hey, man, like, what's up with the wig? Are you recording me with your, you know, brain uh, scanner thing? 
Yeah, it's like that Simpsons where Homer goes in with the camera and he's like, <laughs> don't mind me, Apu. Act like everything's yeah. normal. Pretend like but I'm yeah, not so, wearing this giant hat. So basically, like, you have these, like, yeah, the Brain GoPro records everything through your eyes. And you can put that your what you see and feel onto a disc. And then someone else can take that disc and put it into a little thing and put one of these things on themselves. And then they will see and experience what you experience and i think it goes beyond just like sight because it's recording your sensations yeah well, yeah you know yeah that so one like, guy goes he's like in the shower as like a teenage girl and he's sort right. of touching himself and gasping like right. a big pervo so then there's this whole been this whole black market for it because like oh it's the next level of porn you're not just watching porn you're having you know brain sex with this video right or one thing i did think was really cool is how people will specifically go out and do illegal stuff like rob a liquor store not to not just to get the money from the liquor store but to but to record sell, content record content right and i thought that was really cool cuz it really made this feel like a like a lived in like real world you know because normally it would be something like oh i either i just made this porn or I found this tape of this thing and I'm selling it, which there's an X, uh, um, an element of that as well. But the very fact that they go out and do outlandish things just to create content, I thought was cool. Yeah. There is a lot of like, as I was watching this, I was like, Oh, this is actually really poignant. Even though they're doing something completely different, Th mm -hmm. This is such a parallel to what we have now with people doing like outrageous things on social media right? or the way people observe other people doing things and sort of live vicariously through them. And that's another thing I thought instantly at the very beginning of this movie is like this movie is simultaneously extremely dated and simultaneously relevant. Yeah. Because one, it's dated in your sense of like it's so 90s, but also it like instantly I just got this vibe of like, you know, the VR type experience movies were very popular at this time where it's like we've created this virtual reality environment but how virtual is it you know type of thing yeah um and this kind of plays into that but yeah instantly i was thinking about like oh yeah living vicariously through social media and whatnot like it does in that respect tie very perfectly into what's going on now honestly probably more relevant than the virtual reality you know analogies that you can make about it from that trend in the 90s you know in, in film yeah definitely and it, it's funny you mentioned uh, gopro too as kind of the comparison it took them nine years to develop a camera rig to get the uh the first person maybe it was one year i can't remember it's either nine years or one year <laughs> to develop like a camera rig to get the first person shots in this movie yeah. meanwhile today consumers can do literally anything uh they want with in terms of like first person like cinema right they can cr literally create their own like that's in kind of an incredible leap yeah absolutely and but also like the first person camera stuff in this is very good it looks great you know? and there's times where i think like it's distracting you know from a like a storytelling standpoint at moments but still from a technical level it, I, it, was, it was very well done. And especially like the stuff with mirrors. I was like, this was one of the first times in a while where I've watched the movie. And I was like, whoa, how did they like do this shot? Yeah. 
how do they pull this off? Well, there, I you guess know, there's be- even tons of effects and sort of uh, highly technical filmmaking happening, even where you don't see it. Like the, yeah. I guess the opening robbery foot chase, mm-hmm. uh, especially the roof jumping sequence. There's like a ton of hidden cuts and there like, have to be, yeah. All kinds of. I was like, I was reading uh, this blurb about James Cameron talking about it. Like, it took them like four weeks to shoot that sequence. Yeah, there's like all kinds of wild stuff happening that you can't even see. And a lot of, and now a lot of like hidden cuts are done like digitally, where like they'll they'll fill in the blanks and whatnot. But obviously, this was happening. You know, digital effects were still in their infancy at this at this point. Yeah. And if there was any like stuff like that going on, that would have to be incredibly minor because anything that was like painting in a whole person or anything like that would be so obvious, even if it was a quick flash, that they they couldn't have been doing any of that stuff, you know. That's one thing I do really appreciate about this movie is there's no sort of distracting effects. Like they kept everything very grounded. They were like committed to that that vision of the future, the not too distant future, you know, there's right. no holograms or flying cars or even the like the police uniforms and all the vehicles and stuff are just sort of like pretty much of the time. Well, like and I it has the advantage of being set only like 4 years, you know, ahead of this was kind of a common thing around this time to be like setting a movie like 4 years in the future for seemingly yeah. no reason, like Predator 2, like why does that movie take it, why does it take place like five years in the future? It has no bearing on the plot. Whatsoever. So they can put laser sights on all the guns. But those already existed. <laughs> you know, I can show you movies from 10 years ago that it take place in the current day with laser sights because those are already a thing. You but know? I think too, like uh, I think it also is, is really just to support the leap of, Hey, you think gang violence is uh, scary now? Well, in five years, it's going to be like a war in the streets. Sure. I and mean, I, and I, guess... I think that is kind of the point here, too, is that it's like, oh, uh, imagine, in, you know, what it's like now in just a few years, like we're going to be on the verge of collapse. I think it was more. Have, I Honestly, I think probably because my very first assumption was like, why is it four years in the future when you could just have it be this new and taught? Technology, because there's still ex- all these expedition exposition jumps where they explain this there technology. There is a lot of exposition because they explain it because it's like black market, so like a lot of people don't know what this thing is. So they have he still has to be like, oh, this was developed like this. It's not like a fully known thing. So right. you could, it's not like you set it in the future to like kind of help you with those ex, you know, kind of get away from those exposition dumps. But I think it had more to do with. Uh, the hype around the upcoming millennium change, yeah. you know, and what, like when I started the movie, I didn't realize it was like the new year's day was only a couple days away. And then when they get to that, I'm like, Oh, right. Cause everyone was like freaking out about the millennia and how that's going to be symbolically like, cha- like mark this change in time from the past and the future and the way the direction of our, of our uh, society and culture and science is going. I think it had more to do with that and setting it on that, um, that date rather than anything that had to do with like what's going on in society, like, you know, what will be happening in society three years from now or trying to make the technology more plausible by setting it a few years in the future. Right. I don't know. That's just my guess, but that's kind of the impression I got. Um, so anyway, yeah, so that's how it's set up. And then 
it is literally an hour into the movie before the actual plot starts, which is Ray Fiennes, who deals in black market memories, gets a hold of a tape that has a murder on it. Yeah, and the significance of the murder does not immediately come into focus. No, the actual plot is also... Not only does it not happen until an hour in, it's kind of convoluted about how all these different factors kind of weave together and... and yeah, I was uh, definitely sitting there for about 20, 25 minutes going like, okay, it's like somebody got murdered. Like, why do I give a fuck? Well, I mean, honestly, too, because this movie is very long and because you don't get to the plot, there was a portion probably around like the 40 minute mark where I was like, okay, well, I'm going to like fold some laundry and do like, you know, do some other yeah. tasks that I can do in front of the TV. So my, you know, my attention kind of drifted a little bit in that, in that middle portion before the actual plot kicked in so i was like kind of like oh did i miss some stuff but i actually don't think i did yeah normally the the a lot of movies of this time would have these sort of slice of life like characters just meandering through a day and meeting interesting characters and going to different places like the movie uh and i don't want to turn this into a, a love fest for this movie but spun is does a great job of having like weird and interesting characters in different parts of town and the characters just sort of driving around and going to see those characters. Mm -hmm. Uh, This movie, not so much like the, the other dirtbag memory uh, dealer guy is sort of fun. But other than that, it's uh... well, it also just has too much of the same thing at times. Like I don't need so many scenes you know, showing me that Ray Fiennes is really down on his luck <laughs> because in that first like 45 minutes to an hour, it's like every single scene and they don't really build on each other. It's kind of like the same level of down on his luck. Um, but it's just like, it just, it's just really overly hammering home that he's kind of a dirt bag, but used to be a nice guy or something. And he's broke. Yes. Why you know? how much time they spend setting up, uh, the the relationship with Juliet Lewis mm-hmm. and making it feel like he's lost her. Right. But she's alive and just dating somebody else. Honestly, I think you could have cut <laughs> her character. Kind of pathetic. I think you could have cut her character out of the movie. Yeah. Or kept her in the movie, but n- never had her actually be his ex, just somebody he knew from this, like his shady dealings. You right. Know? I think that's kind of the big, the big picture thing here is like this was written by some people when they were young and it is bloated with all these like creative ideas yeah they're like we need to get all of the shit in here the the uh, windy intricate murder mystery plot uh the psycho killer cops the love story the uh, other love story the uh betrayal of the best friend the impending millennia societal collapse like it's just bloated with so many ideas yeah that all don't quite come together yeah i think that's a shame because like at at first i was like when we were when i started the movie i was like, like ah, this movie's not bad but like i don't know and then as it went along i was like ah there is some really good stuff in here and this could be a really good movie um if it was more focused, you know, if the cop plot line and the murder plot line are like, they're kind of, well, I guess the cops murder people too, but like the, the, the tape he finds of the woman blindfolded being murdered, 
if those things were more directly connected and like the the conspiracies and the stuff kind of coalesced into one thing instead of two things because like when he finds out what's going on with the girl in the tape and like you have that ending and i'm like oh there's still 20 minutes of this movie left. yeah it felt like the movie was over and i was like what is going on because i had actually forgotten about those cops you know if this movie was an hour and a half instead of two hours and 25 minutes or an hour and 40 minutes, you know, instead of two hours and 25 minutes. And those things were just kind of like, kind of refined down and like connected a little better. I think this would be actually a really good movie. And I was thinking about this. This is something I've actually been thinking about a lot. Cause we're, I mean, we're just talking a minute ago about like, man, if your movie is three hours and nine minutes long, uh, you better, you better be really good. If you expect me to come to the theater for that, you know, around this time in the midnight, mid nineties, I think there was like this kind of notion about like, you know, you'd always hear about studios cutting down force, you know, in the eight through the eighties and nineties forcing uh, directors to cut down their movies, you know, and compromise their vision and be like, make the movie shorter, make the movie shorter, make the movie shorter. And it would seem to be this thing is like, Oh, the studio just comes in and hacks everything up, which I'm sure is the case to it to a large extent. Now, so many movies are so long and so bloated I sometimes I'm just like, why is this movie so long? You know, and I don't, I'm not like someone who can't sit through a long movie. Some of, some of my favorite movies are over three hours. I've sat through some, like a few really long movies in the theater this year that I thought were like, oh, that's, that was an appropriate time length for it. But then at the same time, I'm like, why is Babylon over three hours? Why is Avatar over three hours? Why is White Noise, which, you know, I guess is on Netflix, so you don't have to watch it all at once, like almost three hours or something, you know, I mean, I mean, it's not that long, but it's, you know, it's like these, also these directors complaining about like, well, people don't want to go see adult dramas anymore. And it's just like, well, you're making adult dramas that are almost three hours long in the theater when you have also like really good adult drama, long format television. So if I'm going to watch something long, why don't I just watch that? It's wild to me that we also like still have the capacity to complain about this when like uh you know movie tickets are so expensive now and right. they're they're actually like actively trying to give us a little bit more bang for our buck and we're like no no we want to spend less time in in the theater but i mean is that it is it is it more bang for the buck or is it just oh, i mean i don't think that's necessarily the the exact right. intent but uh it you know as a consumer that's how i would view it well, I mean, but once again, it's like it's it's it boils down to like how long should your movie be? You know, like I'm not a like I said, I'm not opposed to a three hour movie, but it better you better have a good reason for it being three hour other than like I love the sound of my own voice and I want to put everything I think of on the screen and I don't know how to edit down <laughs> my ideas because I'm in love with everything I, I've ever said and done. Batman was almost three hours, and I wasn't bored for a second in that movie. I still haven't um, watched that. Okay, that's a movie almost three hours. I saw it in the theater, and I've seen it twice at home since then. Wow. Like, and that was actually a movie I was like, kind of like, honestly, I would have would have minded if this part here was fleshed out even a little bit more. Wow. Uh, uh, the Northman was really long. Who directed that? David Fincher? The Northman? No, the Batman. Oh, Matt Reeves. He uh, did Cloverfield and Let Me In, and he also did uh, 
not the first new Planet of the Apes movie. Not the the one. With, he didn't do the one with James Franco, but he did the two after that. Oh, I haven't seen which those were both. Yo, you, you have those are both really good. I know you love those. Mon- when a monkey picks up a gun, you're in. Oh, one hundred percent. Sign me up. And then they start wearing like uh, like cargo pants, and then you start just uh, losing it. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I'm fully on board. <laughs> but yeah, if your movie. But if your movie should be an hour and a half and it should be lean and mean, then that's what it should also be, you know? I think it's bloated because they also left a ton on the table. Like Angela Bassett's character, which is very cool. Mm -hmm. And like, man, she should have really leaned into action because I think she could have crushed it. She has such a presence. Uh, and then also Ray finds uh, his background as a cop is literally all we get is like one single shot of him like consoling a child and that's it that's his entire cop experience like there yeah. we definitely could have got more of that and also spending time with the psycho cops i would have liked his i really like vincent d'onofrio mm-hmm. in this movie with like what brief moments we have with him it would have been cool to see them doing more like shaking down some people or uh, i don't know just doing some dirty work you know on the right. on the trail of you know because you get that awesome chase, that foot chase with the uh, the girl in the wig at the beginning. Yeah, that was like very intriguing. You know, like what's going on here, and like then that po- whole portion disappears for you yeah. know forty five minutes, and then they show up again. I was like, oh yeah, they're in this movie. What's going on? You know. And then we get a forty five minute sequence of Lenny picking out his shirt and tie combinations. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like we didn't need a montage that long of him picking it on out. Also, you know what really like cheeses me off about the '90s and maybe the 2000s, and who knows, maybe people still do this now. When someone falls asleep on the couch fully clothed, but uh-huh. they're wearing like leather pants and like boots. Yeah. Oh my god, that looks so uncomfortable. It made me want to turn off my television. Yeah, I I don't know. Like, that's just kind of a thing. It's like I, I never really think about that. But I get it. That's but the I kind get of stuff it. that keeps me up at night. Oh, there's stuff like that for me too, where it's just like, I know that's not how that works, and it's going to drive me nuts. <laughs> the things for me, it's like, uh, I, I know we talked. I think we talked about this in one of our like we did a triple X like retrospective like a while ago. But there's a scene in that XXX was years 2. ago. I know. So, I, but I, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, I talked about this because it drives me fucking insane. There's a scene in that movie where Ice Cube is in a diner and he's eating like a burger and French fries and a milkshake. And he goes, give me another shake and some more fries. His milkshake is empty, but he has not touched his fries. He has a full plate of fries. Right. And I'm like, why are you ordering more fries? You were not even eating the fries that you have. That's Those are the type of little <laughs> things that drive me insane when people do stuff like that. Well, now I feel less crazy. Or when someone goes into a like a like a bar and just like goes like can I have a beer please and they're like here you go as if the bar serves one singular yeah, beer just a beer yeah that drives me nuts yeah because even you... like the lowliest of dives still has like I don't know four beers <laughs> yeah it's like what do you want you want Bud or Bud Light you know you gotta pick one you can't well or even just like bottle can versus tap right, right. it's like do you want a pint or do you want a fucking in older movies, that doesn't bother me as much. You know, if it's a movie from the 60s, because it's very conceivable that they may have only had, like, one beer at that time. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah, it's also kind of interesting how bloated this is and how like kind of all over the place because I mean that's not that's something that maybe isn't necessarily out of out of line for Cameron, you know, when he's making a movie. But Catherine Bigelow's movies are usually pretty lean and mean, you know, and even when they're longer, they're they're like very tightly. It's all good stuff, yeah. There's no fat. I already mentioned like Zero Dark Thirty. Like that movie's probably like two and a half hours long. But it's all like, yeah, there's nothing wasted in it. You know, it's all like, oh, everything here is needs to be here and is ex- the exact right length, you know. Maybe she was just riding high off of, you know, the, the Cameron relationship. And was like, yeah, I'm going to put a lot of crap in my movie. Yeah, maybe. Uh, regardless of the Cameron factor, uh, what she brings to the table is pretty top notch. Like, especially her, her action directing is... yes always top tier yeah the car chase I mean, with the limousine oh baby yeah that's good even when like there's some stuff that like narratively is like really goofy but it still looks good you know oh yeah every every there's tons of like great moments and sort of images in this movie i could it makes me see why people appreciate this and consider it a classic even if it is right. a bit long in the tooth as they say but there's well, definitely it's kind of interesting because if it had been a hit when it came out, I don't really think it would be considered a classic. But because it wasn't, but had you know has a lot of like potential in its DNA, I think it makes it easy to kind of like look back and revisit it and be like, okay, this is not this has some flaws, but there's some really great stuff going on, particularly thematically, you know, for for the time and predicting things that might come to pass. Yeah, and there is no, there's absolutely no holding back when it comes to commenting on like social issues in this, yeah, that's, in this movie. Like they were, they were, they had something to say and they were saying it loud. Yeah. I was a little, actually genuinely a little surprised with like how like bold some of that stuff was for the time for, you know, the, the size of this production, you know, because this wasn't like a small movie. It was no. just, it just wasn't a, a hit, you know. It had a massive budget. Yeah. What was it like forty-five million or something like that? Yeah, which was a lot for a, for a movie. Uh, then you know that wasn't like a. I mean, there's special effects in this, but like they're invisible special. It's that's a lot of, for a movie that's not like a massive special effects. You know, here comes dinosaurs and robots type movie. No, a lot of it looks like it went to extras. In fact, back end deals for James Cameron. Besides just like that, what what are things about the movie that do really shine to you? Uh, the trailer? The trailer for this movie is mm-hmm. arguably one of the more iconic trailers I've ever seen in my life. I, should go, I didn't watch it. I have to go check it's it out. Really I mean, I'm sure good. I saw it it's, at some point in my life. But. It's on HBO. It's also on YouTube, obviously. But it's great. Like There is nothing else like it and it's literally just ray fines talking to the camera trying to sell you some memories oh that's cool it's very wild like i guess i expected this to be more of a sci-fi movie like in the tradition of like blade runner or total recall or something yeah i kind of too like i thought there'd be like more like stuff like the might bridge the gap of watching memories and then like somehow interacting with the memories and being characters like being in that world then you know, both hooked up, interacting with each other. I thought there'd be more stuff like that, which I'm glad there's not, but that's kind of what I was anticipating. Yeah, but it really was like, it. this is less of a sci-fi movie and more of like a 
murder mystery, like thriller, noir type movie. Well, the technology, even though it still doesn't exist today, it doesn't seem that outlandish. No. You know what I mean? And it's present, like I said, like the way they present it, it just feels so lived in and grounded in terms of like what this, this business is that they're doing and like how it works and whatnot. It seems totally plausible in the sense that if you came out with this technology tomorrow, two months from now, this would be an underground market, undoubtedly, you know? Yeah, definitely. So it actually ends up, you, you, you're playing less with the concept of this fictional technology and more how the world operates if this fictional technology is in place to begin with, you know? Breaking down the science of it, it really isn't that important, you know, or like, it's not, we're not going so deep as like, well, what are the moral implications if you have clones of yourself that you harvest for organs, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, that's a little bit more removed. Should we watch some clone movies? Yeah, probably. What's a good clone movie besides um, Judge Dredd? Spoiler. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen a, like an actual really good clone movie. What do they got? They got uh, the sixth day there. Yeah, not very good. Uh, I mean, it's fun. Surrogates. I, surrogates is not a clone movie. It's not. No, that's a. They live like it's a robot movie. Oh, what about that? Uh, they got uh, one of those clone movies there with uh, the Keanu Reeves. Uh, it starts with an R. Oh, is it newer? Replacements or? <laughs> yeah, the replacements. That's, that's a football movie. That's a he cloned himself to play every position on the football team. Um, there's multiplicity. Multiplicity, with the, yes. I guess like the ultimate clone movie, but you don't really think of it as being a clone movie, is Jurassic Park. Because they're cloning dinosaurs, but it's not like a... But we haven't du- met the originals. Right, exactly. It's not a duplicate. Of yeah, there's no moment where know. the T-Rexes like look each other in the face and are like... Oh. <laughs> right, and say like, like, if you're me, who the hell am I? You yeah. know? Um, what's that movie... It's like some very serious, like kind of like drama clone movie. Uh, like uh, Moon. Oh, that's a really good clone movie, but that's not what I was thinking of. It's got Andrew Garfield in it. Ah, Never Let Me Go. I think is what it's called. Oh, weird. And that's literally about like har- making clones to harvest for organs. I think, but it's... nice. But then one clone, one of the clones has a heart of gold, and he can't bring himself to kill it. Yeah, and they do He's a little. Like, we'll dance save you or because you're unique and special. But that means you have yeah. to save all the clones. Yeah, that's too um, many clones. And then uh, what's that? Uh, that movie I just watched with, um, with Tom Cruise. Where he's a clone. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. That's I always forget that he's a clone in that the Oblivion. Hell? Yeah, Oblivion. I mean, it's literally it's almost the same thing as moon but just way less interesting yeah um yeah moon is like it seems to be like off of, like there's some of those i haven't seen but a lot of the ones i have like moon's the only good one and it's widely regarded as being really good so maybe it's not the the best movie for the, for this show yeah um yeah it's we, the van we sh- damme one with the with uh the clone uh replicant yeah that one's pretty funny I've never seen that one. I've heard, su- it's, it's, I've heard it's fun. There's some interesting... It's a little surprising. That's for sure. Mm. If I did a clone movie, it would definitely be The Sixth Day. Yeah. Even though it's not good. Just because it's funny. 
is Twins a clone movie? You know, kind of, but not really. Yeah, but not really. It's clone adjacent. I love that the whole like conceit of that movie is like two guys that could not look any different, just like meeting people and them going, "Your brothers?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's like the movie like should not be very good, but it's really really good. It's extremely entertaining and heartwarming, yeah. and it made a bazillion dollars. And like, I rewatched that. I've seen that movie many times. I rewatched it. Oh, it's always on TV. Always. Yeah. I watched it in the last year and I completely forgot about like that whole portion, like in the third act where they kind of become psychic. Do you remember this? What? They develop like this kind of sixth sense of what the other one's doing. And then, uh, like Danny DeVito, like spills coffee on his hand and Arnold's and and, like, this is like after they're separated after Danny DeVito goes off on his own. Like he's like, he spills hot coffee in his hand. He goes like, ow. And then it cuts to Arnold Schwarzenegger in another state, like shaking his hand. No. Yes. That can't and, be real. And they address it. They address it because, like, Jules finds Vincent, you know, at the, at the deal, just like you following his intuition, right? And uh, Danny, Vincent, Danny DeVito goes, he comments on something. He's like, he's like, my life has been terrible ever since you showed up, and now I'm psychic all of a sudden. Weird. Yeah, I completely forgot all about that. It's like because it's just like not treat. They don't make a big deal out of it. It just kind of like happens. Yeah, it's very bizarre. Anyway, we digress. For me, like I think we touched on most of the things that I think are really good about it. I mean, I think the acting is predominantly very good. Uh, I'm not crazy about uh, Ray Fine's uh, American accent. No, but... he's not. He sort of is missing something in this role. I think it's mostly just his trying to reconcile this like like sleazy kind of dirtbag guy with the he was supposed to be this police officer and you just never get a you never see it and then he finally finally at the end of the movie kind of goes into cop mode a little bit right but it's sort of not enough to really like drive it home and you get the like they kind of allude to like like this movie is full filled with like crooked cops and you know murder cops and like you know just regular cops obviously uh, but you kind of like allude to the fact that he was like a good cop, you know, and not crooked, even though he's like super sleazy and sketchy now. And we don't really know why he got to that point because it's not him. And like, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with him and Juliet Lewis and him losing her as love his life. Cause he's already like, he's, he's already in this like, uh, like memory dealing world by the time he's with her in the flashbacks. You know? It's hard to tell though, because that one, that single flashback of him uh, as a cop, he has the same haircut and sideburns. They That's didn't true. even bother like being like, Oh, he was a different guy before, you know, this thing happened. That yeah. Turn him into whatever. It's like, no, he was always just kind of like a, a dingus. And he's so sketchy. And I'm not saying that can't work as a character. You can, you know, oh, obviously, yeah, for sure. But there's just there is something lacking, yeah, in the presentation for like getting fully on board with him and his motivations and whatnot, and then the whole little like him and Angela Bassett romance is very tacked on at the end. Yeah. Also, it's it's weird. Like I kind of understand like the uh, you know falling in love with the the person that 
you know, saved you in a in a bad right. time when you needed it the most. But the also the unrequited love angle going on for so long. It's like she seems like someone who would not do that. Like right. She would have the sort of the self esteem to just move on. And he and he's like so obsessed with Juliet Lewis, even though she's like not cool. We only see her as not cool and a bad that. actress. And a bad actress. He, you know, does, he at no point does he acknowledge that, which is unfortunate. I wish he would have just come out and said it. Which is also funny because I think she's usually pretty good, but she yeah, she's yeah. not good in this movie. There's something um, like weird, like she just seems so phony. Yeah. Like and I I wonder if the you know, that's kinda of have to shoulder Catherine Bigelow with that and be like, This is what you were this is these are the takes you wanted. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, it all just like kind of like, it just kind of at the end, they're like, oh, and now they're going to kiss. And maybe it was just like, they were just like, Ray Fiennes was like, oh, I want to kiss Angela Bassett. And Angela Bassett was like, oh, I want to kiss Ray Fiennes. Cool. You know, like, I don't blame either one of them, but. Yeah, the whole ending is kind of a weird like, huh? Because you have this massive backdrop at like this huge in scope. New Year's Eve party with everybody in the city, and it feels like the stakes should be high, but they're not. It's they're, the stakes are so low. They, I mean, they this, they brought yeah. some criminals to justice in a very bizarre way. You know, I mean, it's like after like you find out that Tom Sizemore is the person who killed the woman in the video, you know, which is a big reveal because you already know the cops. What the cops are trying to do, like, what they're trying to do is kind of cover up this murder, how they, like, they killed this, like, famous rapper, like, execution style, uh, and then were recorded and, and initially didn't know that they were recorded, but then found out and were trying to get the tape back. And that's their whole angle in it. Like, so after, like, you find out that Tom Sizemore is the killer of the, the, the prostitute lady, and it's just a coincidence, the, the connection between him and the cops... And the murders aren't connected. After that, and he gets thrown out of the window. Then you have this scene of the cops. And it really falls... The whole movie, I think, really falls apart there. Because it's like... It's so melodramatic. It's so... Some parts are so goofy. Like, the cops are trying to get this tape back that shows them murdering people. And to get the tape back, they're murdering people in a crowd in public. They're just shooting blindly into a crowd. And, like, you know, killing people left and right. Which, I mean, there's plenty of videos of real life of cops killing people and getting away with it. But the conceit of this movie is that if this tape got out, that they would not get away with it, right? So they're just doing that. And it's like, it's like that I just started like kind of laughing because it's like you're trying to get this murder tape back by murdering people in front of literally hundreds, if not thousands of witnesses. Mm -hmm. And then like the chain ties up the cops and there's a riot and there's, and after the riot, the cops grab guns and then the cops are going to kill people but then the cops commit su one of the cops commits suicide and now Vincent Onofrio is going to kill somebody but then he gets shot you know it's just like it just yeah, and the, the camera lingers on those other cops as if this is supposed to be like a significant moment of these cops gunning down this other cop like these are the hero cops but i don't know they're just a bunch of nobodies yeah, it just like it, it it just like mounts upon itself in this like in these ludicrous ways, and then it culminates with Ray Fiennes and Angela Bassett like making out out of the blue, you know. Yeah. When uh, he does that thing where he's like, "Well, gotta go," and then he claws his way out of the ambulance into the the town car or whatever, and grabs her. Yeah. And it's like, well, okay, dude. Like, it took you almost dying like five times 
to realize that this person cares about you. Right. That is not healthy. Also, like, this is not the Juli- foundation for a strong future relationship. Yeah. Also, Juliet Lewis's like last minute turn of being like, no, I don't want Ray Fiennes to die. Where she's like literally just been like a complete scum lord who doesn't care about anybody is like letting her best friends be mur- raped and murdered by Tom Sizemore, who she's also banging. And then like she's like standing around as Tom Sizemore like reveals his like diabolical plot to Ray Fiennes and going like tee hee 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 hee, talking about how he's going to kill Ray Fiennes when he's done telling the story. And she's just like, mm, I like this. And then at the last second, she's just like, kind of like, oh wait, no. And just like, half-heartedly knocks the gun away from him you know it just seems like incredibly tacked on yeah she's a real flip-flopper people like that are exhausting so Uh, you're telling me get out of here i don't i don't want to rag on this on on those things too much because i do think there's a lot of good going on here and this movie i don't think really falls into the realm of like forgotten classic but it does fall into like forgotten interesting like slice of a segment of time and filmmaking yeah it was cool that this finally hit streaming because for a long time this has been unavailable and Uh not easy to watch so i i was actually pretty excited to hear that it was on hbo max and uh i thought it would be cool to watch and check out at least Mm mm-hmm and no, it I'm de- it's, a, it's definitely a movie I'm glad that I watched. It was you know? interesting. That, that's a yeah. hell of a review. Interesting to check out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's so many movies where it's like, I mean, there's movies that are technically better than this that I forget instantly, you know? This is a movie that will at least stick with me and I'll think about for a while. And I'll think about like how it, how it was good, how it could have been better, you know, what what interesting, unique things it was doing for its time how it predicted the future of Tom Sizemore in real life, you know, how that would, how his character in this movie would just become him in his real life character pretty much. A Tom Sizemore uh, is always just Tom Sizemore. <laughs> totally. But like when I was watching this movie, I was just like, wait a minute. Is this how he chose to read? Like, he's like how he chose to like, like execute his like post saving private Ryan life was just like, I'll just do all the things that I did in, in strange days but i'll do them for real you know (laughs) he's like i'm gonna get heavy into drugs start dating prostitutes and uh probably kill somebody Uh, i don't think he's killed anybody yet but you know that's a headline i think no one be surprised if if it came out that's someone else's job i don't know any uh final thoughts at the end of the day i think this movie is worth watching just not for the sci-fi angle I think yeah. if you really want to see a sci-fi movie about memory, blah, blah, blahs, Johnny Mnemonic is the jingle. Oh, my God. Do you, do you, it, it's, do you, it's essentially the same thing. Wandering around a, a, a futuristic space, meeting interesting characters, interacting with criminals. Everybody wants to get the thing. Uh, and when they get the thing, something's going to happen because of the thing. And... Uh, do you genuinely like Johnny Mnemonic, Johnny Mnemonic, or is it like an interesting novelty for you? Genuinely like it. I acknowledge that it's not good. Okay. But it has, it's it's what I would want out of a movie of this ilk. Like if someone's like, hey, you do you want to watch a cyberpunk movie? 
I want to see some outlandish things like a laser whip and a psychic dolphin and uh, Dolph Lundgren wearing a bathrobe. And you know what I mean? Like, that's what I want to see. I want to see the, I don't know, man. Keanu Reeves is fucking fascinating in the movie. Oh, I agree. I just think that movie, like. I'm not saying it's better than Strange Days. I'm just saying if you want all the gimmicks. Yeah. That's the that's the. I think a, I think a Johnny Dynamic supercut is fun, but that movie is just so boring. Like all the in between stuff is just painful to me. I can see that, but there also is no shortage of movies like that, especially like right. on the low budget direct to video. Oh yeah, market. So if you want the the classy version, I'd say it doesn't get much classier than Strange Days. Yeah, I guess uh, that kind of wraps up Strange Days. Um, I think we're going to have a, another fun episode coming up. Uh, no. We got, what? No. And that's not going to be fun? When was the last time we had a fun episode? Well, How can you tell good. people that we're going to have a fun episode coming up if... I don't remember when the last fun episode was. Hey, look, I'm just selling a product here, you know? Whoa. Speaking of products, to all you nice folks that uh, bought things from the merch store, just remember that all that stuff's print on demand, so it takes a little time to uh, get printed and shipped. Uh, so but please, you will please be get patient. it eventually. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be awesome. And when you do, uh, let us know if it's, uh, if it's good or if it sucks. Yeah, tag us on social media or something like yeah. that. We think it's pretty nice, pretty yeah. pretty decent stuff, so please and enjoy. if anybody else wants stuff, uh, find our links in our bios of our social media. Like, go to our Instagram. You'll find a link to our shop and whatnot, and you can buy something if you want. And I still got some free stickers left. Send a send a direct message on Instagram at TrashyPod, and uh, I'll mail you some free stickers. Yeah, so there you go. That's Strange Days. Um, We're not going to talk about it anymore. So we're done for today. Thanks for listening. And Keith, what do you always say? Don't fuck with your brain, pal. It's not worth it. And until next time, the dumpster is closed. Goodbye, everyone. Everybody go back to doing what you were doing.